You know what it is. That's right. It's time to talk money with your money nerd and financial coach. Now, tighten those purse strings and open those ears. It's the Money Talk with Tiff podcast. Hello, hello. Hey, girl. Hey. <laughs> How are you? Good. How you doing? How you feeling? I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good. Today was super productive, so. I just wish it was Friday all over again. Well, let's say last Friday all over again. I'm like, don't rush it. <laughs> I'm just ready to get through the holidays, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Time is flying now. I don't believe it's already November. I know. What up? What up? Hey, hey, hey. Hello. I don't believe that it is as warm as it is in oh November. My God. Right. I was, I was sweating today. The bus stop today. And I usually got to wear a hoodie with my jacket. Like I have a bomber jacket I wear over top of my hoodie. And I stepped outside and I was like, ooh. You know how you make that face because you, you about to sweat? Yeah. I was so <laughs> irritated. I was sweating today. I got out the shower and I could not stop sweating. I was like, nah, ain't no way. I thought it was something wrong with me. It is something wrong. That's what's wrong. That's why them polar bears ain't right no more. (laughs) Not that's not why. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, it was hot today. I think it got up to 80 here in North Carolina. I'm a little bit north from you. So yeah, that was about the same here. In November. <laughs> in November. All right. Let me figure out where everybody else is so we can get started on time. So we can end on time. <laughs> Let's see. How was your day, Rakim? It was a good day. It was very productive. I actually, Tiffany and I got to record for my new podcast. So that's how I started my day. Yeah, and, uh, and then I posted on Twitter about people who might be interested, and I did not expect to get the turnout that I did. Like people were commenting all day, like, "Oh, I want to be on it." Oh, I want to be. Sir, on it. you are a verified Twitter like, account. <laughs> I know you didn't not think somebody was going to be like, "Bro, put me on." I was thinking about that because Tiffany and I were talking about the evolution of my brand because she's she's seen it evolve, and I didn't realize this, Tiff, when we were talking earlier. A baked in audience already. It doesn't matter what I do, like people already know me. And especially with this verification, people probably, oh yeah, let me get on that. So I thought it was going to be hard because we were looking at the podcast stats. I thought it was going to be difficult to to get downloads and streams, but now I'm like, all right, I'm out the gate with this. The hardest part is starting. The hardest part of anything is starting. And you cross that hurdle. So shit, (laughs) it's smooth sailing from here. That's a fact. And staying consistent. Let me add that. Because <laughs> that's the hard part, too. But it's so very important. All right, y'all. I would hate to get started without the person who said they wanted to do this. But <laughs> I'm like, the people that suggest should be the first people here. But we're going to go ahead and get started because it's already 9.05. And I want to be respectful of everybody else's time. So, Everybody, welcome to Fin Noir. This is a space for Black Money Talk. So we just dive into multiple different topics. And we start off with a topic, but usually it ventures in many different ways. So we just let the spirit move us however it flows. But we're here to talk about money as it relates to our community. My name is Tiffany Grant, and I am 
the owner and host of Money Talk with Tiff, which is a financial education platform. It's a blog, it's a podcast, it's a social media presence. And all I'm trying to do is educate our community on ways that they can use their money better. Right, Kim? Brock Kim Sabri here. I cover financial trauma, financial empowerment for people who look like me. And I'm also the new host of the Overcoming Financial Trauma podcast, where I talk about all things financial trauma and how to overcome them. Come on, new host. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> all right, Marquia. You had to upgrade your TikTok intro now. <laughs> you had to add that on there. <laughs> But what's up, everybody? My name is Marquia. I am a certified financial education instructor. I'm known as the Money Plug here on social media and on TikTok. And I've grown an audience of over 200,000 followers teaching people all about the intricacies of credit and why you need to think about it just as much as you think about your regular cash flow. So I love being here on Mondays. Yes, yes. This is definitely a dope space. And Linda. Okay, never mind. Nia. (laughs) Hi, I'm Nia, personal finance educator. I drop home buying and money tips for women seeking financial stability. Sure and sweet. I'm like, I need to get my mind down. Thanks to Rakim. Yes, yes. And hold on. I'm going to invite one more person up for now. All right. Definitely purposeful economist. Economist. No worries. (laughs) Dr. Malcolm Adams, purposeful economist. I talk about economics from behavioral to political to business and black money yes yes thank you for joining us tonight so me and dr adams we like nerd out on a bunch of different things so i'm glad that he's here because you haven't been able to get a preview of what the topic is but when i say it you're gonna be like "Ooh, okay i came to the right one but before i get there because i have to leave y'all on a cliffhanger I see Kamari just popped in, so I want to give him an opportunity to introduce himself as well. Kamari. <laughs> I'll be right on, folks. Give me one second. Okay, no problem. Well, Let me jump on. Hold on. I'm oh. going to tell y'all that. Let me tell y'all that I am so glad I talk to y'all every day. So last week, I did the, I got to speak at the NCUA event. They did an annual summit, and it was a packed room, first of all. So let me tell y'all how I was on stage shaking like a booty at Mardi Gras with all them people staring me in my face and asking me all these questions. But And I was so glad she asked it because I didn't know how I was going to slide it in there. This one lady stood up and she was like, now that we following you, what are some other personal finance content creators that I can follow? When I tell you I was going through, I was trying to, I was so mad I didn't have it ready, like screenshot already. I was going through all of y'all ads on Twitter, like mentally trying to remember everybody, like, Man, I that was like that was the moment. Like before I went and was speaking, I was texting in our little group chat that we have, and I told Rakim like, "All right, I'm gonna mention you to the credit unions." And I was like, "Whoever else got something to put out, let me know." So a couple people hit me up, but it was so cool to have that opening and to be able to highlight. I even talked about the Twitter Space, so that was really cool. And I actually talked to a lot of people after the fact about why we use Twitter Spaces and stuff like that. So it was really cool to see their interest in why we created these safe spaces for ourselves to talk about Black money every week and how well it's been helping people and even us as creators create better content and hold ourselves more accountable for what we're posting. So I definitely just wanted to let y'all know that I definitely had to shout out the crew last week. 
Oh, thank you. While you were shaking in your Mardi Gras. And I want to go back to Linda because I think she's ready now. So, Linda, you want to introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. My name is Linda, a.k.a. She Motivates. I am a motivational speaker and realtor and new author. And I teach women how to change their lives through the renewal of their mindset. Awesome, awesome. And last but not least, Kamari, are you ready? Yes, ma'am. Good evening, everybody. I'm former financial advisor, overall money nerd, and overall lover of black folks. That's about it. And tonight we are talking about is it's anonymous to be black but being struggle, right? Yes. So Did I, say that? I didn't say that right. No, but I'll do it. <laughs> no I'm <problem>. sorry. <laughs> You tried though. You attempted. Right. Yeah. I've been busy, so I'm a little scatterbrained right now. So let me take a breath. (laughs) (laughs) You're fine. You're fine. So the topic, Kamari kind of hinted at it. The topic for tonight is being black synonymous with struggle. And if so, why is it like that? Why is why is it? And so I feel like a lot of us have a lot to talk about around that topic. And this came about as an offshoot from last week's topic. And we were like, this would be a great conversation to have just as a continuation pretty much of last week. So with that being said, the person that (laughs) wanted to do this topic, they're not here today. Usually I go with the person that suggested first, but would anyone like to start us off with this conversation? I'll start. And because I had kind of primed the conversation this morning as we were talking, But the area that I focus on is financial trauma. And oftentimes I will make reference to the generational trauma of black Americans in this country, starting with slavery, going through Jim Crow and then even through present day. And a lot of that is it's a mouthful. It's easy for me to spit out because I talk about it all the time. But a lot of that is it's a lot to unpack. And there's a lot of pain in that. There's a lot of struggle in that. And through that pain and struggle, I think there have been manifestations financially in poverty. And that is, I don't want to say the dominant narrative, but a pretty dominant narrative when it comes to when you think about Black people and money. But it's not the only narrative. And shameless plug, episode one of my new podcast, Overcoming Financial Trauma, me and Asia Evans, who is a licensed mental health counselor um, and financial therapist were talking about how our upbringings were so different. She had an upbringing that was one of privilege, whereas my upbringing was one of poverty and how we both landed in the same space as people who are passionate about financial trauma, financial therapy, financial psychology. And that contrast is needed for us to demonstrate what is the spectrum of representation in this space generally as financial educators and content creators, but more specifically in financial therapy space? It's a resonating conversation. And I think that, unfortunately, I can't lend to the other side of what that equation looks like, at least from like a story-based background kind of perspective. But I think as we pull back the layers of this conversation, what I'm looking for in in terms of you guys' engagement is that point of change where you navigate from maybe poverty or an experience with poverty 
into an experience that kind of separates you from your peers? And what does that do for you and them psychologically? Yeah, I definitely can agree with you there and resonate. It's like we all have different backgrounds, which we hit on like in our, I think it was like our second space that we did when we were talking about what entrepreneurship and stuff looked like for us as we were growing up and just realizing that the Black experience can look like so many different things. But as far as society is concerned, it's usually lumped into one or two general, like generalizations. And that's why I think this conversation is important to have. Kamari? Yes, this is a great topic from so many reasons. And it depends on which, which view you look at it from. But I'm going to go from the historic lens. So ever since Black people arrived on these shores, we have been fighting, we've been struggling. Even if you look at the entire African or Black diaspora, we all have been fighting or struggling in one way, shape, form, or fashion. But it also is a bit nuanced because when you say, is it synonymous, is Black synonymous with struggling? Words are very important and I don't want to. I don't want to play around and say yes, just because you're black, you're struggling. But when we look at it from the macro landscape lens, and we look that we have to continue to fight for our rights, and we have to continue to look at the disenfranchisement economically, politically, even with things like Roe versus Roe versus Wade being turned around. That's going to impact a lot of black families. In this context, from just an overall historic political and economic standpoint, I would say yes, to be black is the struggle in this country. Gotcha, gotcha. Does anyone else have any comments around our topic before we dig deeper? I do. So I've had the pleasure of being black in more than just America. And I lived in Europe for a while. And don't laugh at me. And I I got to live in Europe. And it's really crazy how uniquely American this conversation is actually is to be honest the answer is yes yes to struggle like black and struggle is synonymous but in america and it's so crazy because obviously we grew up here a lot of us don't leave here so this is all we know but social media and the media in general they will push the idea and the notion that struggle like black is to struggle as struggle is to everything else and i'm sorry i said that wrong i said that wrong Y'all get what I'm trying to say. But, for example, if you ask, like, somebody to describe, like, what's a life you don't want? They'll be like, oh, five and six kids and five and six baby daddies. And, like, they get, that's here it is, equivalent of, like, when you go to shake a white person's hand and they be like, what's up, homeboy? And they try to give you that, right? You see how they try to, like, y'all get that feeling I'm trying to talk about, like, how, like, they're talking about you. Like, I'm not fucking stupid. I know you did that because I'm black. So a lot of times when people, when they describe the struggle or the life that they don't want to live as a, because it's a struggle, it's very uniquely the Black experience. And this is something that I only experienced here. When I was in Europe and they taught, we, you see, obviously, homeless people and struggle and things like that. It's not a Black problem. It's not, it's, they don't blame Black people for any of the issues that they have. They don't thrust a camera in Black people's faces every time there's a problem in the Black community or something. You get what I'm trying to say? So it's really funny how different it is. It's a huge culture shock, too, how different it is between here and other places. 
But here in America, a thousand percent society pushes the idea that struggling is a black thing. Like struggling is, it's not that nobody else can struggle, but it's just that when the idea or the picture that comes up in the dictionary, right? When you search struggle for America is black people. That's what I'm trying to say. No, I completely understand where you're coming from. And I blame media for the most part, because at the end of the day, like you said, this is what's being programmed. This is what's being pushed down our throat. Really, the actuality of it is that we actually have a lot of wealth. It's just that this is what's being fed to us. Rakim? Yeah, I think it's interesting that Marquia brought in the international variable, because I've traveled to probably six or seven different countries and most of my travel has been in the Caribbean so spending time with a lot of people that look like me and when I heard you say that something like a flip a switch rather flipped in my head that I think it's important for us to qualify how we define struggle and so when we look at struggle in the black experience I think that there is definitely ties into economic power or capitalism, excuse me, and the way that is practiced here in the United States versus around the world, because what would be considered struggle here might be considered commonplace in a place like the Dominican Republic or in Antigua. And, And so I think our struggle is certainly multifaceted in that, to Kamari's point, there is the overcoming of obstacles historically that continue to surface today, but there's also a value placed on a certain lifestyle that may or may not exist outside of the borders of the United States. So, Marquis, I just think that that's a really good point for you to mention. Our experience with struggle is certainly multifaceted from a historical lens, from an economic lens from a perception or a perceptive lens when it comes to media and what it is that we embrace around what our lives should look like or could look like in comparison to non-Black peers. Yes, thank you for adding that. And I'm going to just add on real quick that I agree. After going to Jamaica earlier this year, I'm like, I'm ready to be out. Bye, (laughs) y'all. I'll do these spaces from Jamaica because it's just a beautiful thing when you're around just your people. And I was just surprised down there how there's so many entrepreneurs. It's just so much Black excellence just hanging out down there. People have their own businesses and stuff. And, you know, what? U.S. under U.S. standards, some of them would be struggling. But to me, I saw it from their lens and they're like, this is a good way to make money for ourselves. So anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there that I'll probably be moving soon. All right, Nia. <laughs> so I want to echo a few things that were said. I'm actually an avid traveler. I've, I don't know how many countries I've been to, but I usually, when I travel, I stay around the locals. So I'm an Airbnb or I'm not staying in a resort. 
I'm staying in a local neighborhood. And yes, they're happy. <laughs> they're content. They're living good. They're peaceful. They're not stressed. They're not looking behind their backs. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's a completely di different atmosphere. I'm actually planning to move out of the country as well. So I'm with that. And But I wanted to ask, has anybody seen any of the international commercials about America? Because I definitely feel like it's an American thing. If you see some of the commercials that are out about America, America is a struggle bus <laughs> to other countries. Some of the commercials, you remember how you used to have the commercials when you were younger that were like with 20 cents a day, you can feed. They have commercials like that about America because we have so many homeless people. Like in other countries, in Europe and other, I think one was in... What was Europe? I don't remember what the other country was, but I've seen multiple commercials like that. So I definitely think it's American thing. I definitely think I agree. It's related to financial, but it's just so many different obstacles that it's a struggle to get up. So it's multifaceted. Absolutely. But it's based on what you consider struggling. Yes, I definitely agree with that for sure, because it's all relative. And then Kamari, go ahead. So I kind of wanted to ask the same thing. How do we anchor this conversation? Because are we coming from a, from a more individualistic standpoint or are we looking at it from a group standpoint? Because they're going to be different a lot of times. Because when I'm talking about it, I'm talking about it more from a group standpoint. Even when I look around the globe, Ghana is still having problems with the Chinese. South Africans, or Black South Africans, you got to be correct in saying that are still having a problem with major disparities over there with land ownership and, uh, and jobs and other things. But yes, there are people who are living quite abundantly. There, there's other issues in various other places around the globe. I know UK is still having problems with Brexit and some black or brown people are being mistreated there. So I guess, what way are we looking at struggle from? Is it more from a day-to-day -day standpoint, or is it more from, for example, everybody in here is black from America or born in America? I would bet if we took a survey, many of us feel like we're not being treated as your average, everyday American, almost like we're second-class citizens. So, again, which way are we looking at this from? Kamara, I think we can look at it whichever way it's interpreted in this conversation anyway. Certainly, I think Stephen Stack was the person that initiated this topic. And Stephen self-identifies as a millionaire, 31 years old. He made his first million dollars. He tells the story. And I think knowing Stephen that maybe his intent in surfacing this topic, and, and certainly I don't want to speak for him, but I wish he was here to speak for himself. He wanted to talk about the other side of what the experience was less the struggle. And from that lens, I think maybe he was talking about it from an individual perspective, but I'm liking the way that this conversation is taking shape. So I would want to let it exist without guardrails and whoever interprets it, however they interpret it can answer or provide feedback around what that looks like for them. I'm cool with that. I just wanted to make sure we're all on the same page. And I, because there's also a mindset a lot of times that when you feel that you're disenfranchised, you kind of take on and you don't necessarily do the very best that you can do because you don't believe you can do the very best you can do. So it gets, it gets a little tricky.
Gotcha. And then Marquia. Those commercials that Nia was talking about are real. Y'all gotta see if y'all can find them online. But this was one of the first I'll things try to I find some of. and drop them in the chat. This was one of the first things I thought of when we started the conversation tonight and why I said in other places you don't see how America you know how America like front loads black people for every struggle or and it's like little things like in commercials that talk about families, it's always the black family that only has a mom. Or, like, in TV shows where they're talking about crime, it's always the black neighborhoods, the guys all, bad guys always black, like, that sort of thing. It's little stuff like that. But in other, they don't do that. They do that with the white people of America. Like, it was a commercial, I think my first time ever seeing this, I was, we had stayed out in town in Germany, and it was a commercial about how fat Americans were. And it was just nothing but McDonald's and, like, super size, and these, these fat people and their shirts don't fit and all this other stuff. But none of them was black. Nobody in the commercial was black. I think that was the one time I never complained about something like that. But it's just so crazy to me how we are, like like Ross said, we're programmed in a sense to believe that to be, to struggle is a black thing. That's the, even though we struggling, we're not struggling as bad as black people. Black was always put down as like the bottom of the bottom, the worst of the worst. But then I also like the fact that Kamari asked that question because Kamari is man he's contagious like he'll say stuff and it just sparks bigger conversations and makes and makes you want to get deeper into stuff so he a history buff every conversation you ever have with kamari in life he gonna bring up something that happened well before any of us was fucking born and so to keep up in conversations with him now he has me reading like all of these older books. Now I've started rereading the Miseducation of the Negro and re- rereading a lot of these old history books. And it, I have to keep telling myself like black history didn't just start at slavery. So in order to have this conversation now, especially if you're going to talk about how the transatlantic slave trade plays a part in why we think struggle and blackness is synonymous. We also have to talk about the history before that, meaning we have to go broader and look outside of just America because some of us aren't from here. And, uh, and so that generational trauma and things that we've passed down over the years, all of that stuff kind of ties into what we're talking about now. So I do love that you asked that question, but I really love the answer that Rod gave about it. it depends on who you're talking to. Yes, thank you, Marquia. And you got me dying laughing over here. <laughs> but I want to go to Linda and then I'll say my two cents on that. All right. I wanted to piggyback on something that Marquia said, where she said that it's often assumed that every black woman is a single mom. And I don't know for you moms in here, I'm a single co-parenting mom. My ex-husband and I co-parent very well with our sons. And it's always assumed by his teachers that I'm single until I pop up to a parent-teacher conference with my ex-husband. And there's always like this shocked face every single year we go through it they always just assume because I'm the parent that's usually emailing and although he cc'd on the emails they never realize that it's actually two parents parenting my boys and it's actually it's disheartening I was just talking about it this morning with a friend of mine I said I feel like even though I co-parent very effectively with my ex-husband I feel like I always have to make sure I say my son's father and I, my son's father and I every time, or I have to make sure I email the teacher back from my business email so that she doesn't assume that I'm just some low life bum mom that is, doesn't have any education, any form of education. 
So Marquia said something that really touched me because I said to myself, I feel like it's a struggle being black and I feel like it's a struggle being a black woman. And although I love my blackness, don't get me wrong, I love all things black, especially my black brothers. But sometimes I'm like, my God, when is it going to change for us? Why do I always have to step out the house like on defense mode all the time, especially for my sons, especially for them. I have to continuously say, oh, yeah, my ex-husband and I or my kid's father and I always put that so that people don't just assume, okay, she's another single mother raising her boys in a single family household. And they treat me differently, believe it or not, when my ex-husband pops up. Whenever my ex-husband pops up at a parent-teacher conference, if he's there, the tone is different. If I'm there alone, it's a whole different feel. I don't know if any of you other parents felt feel that, but that's how I always feel. That's interesting. I'll go to Nia and Marquia, because now I'm like, I want to kind of dive into this a little bit more, but Nia... So I am, I'm a single parent. My daughter is now 21, but while she was growing up, I experienced this a lot. So whenever she did anything in school or had any type of problem in school, when I was called to the school, it was automatically assumed that I was ignorant and that I was the problem or I was the reason why. And then if you all know me, I'm very strategic and a big planner. So once they actually start to talk to me and have a conversation with me, they would see, oh, she's just being a child. Or they would be like, oh, like kind of shocked or surprised that we had so much structure in our household. So I completely agree with Linda. It is automatically assumed or even when I would go look for apartments, they would assume I didn't know who her father was just based on the questioning and comments that I would receive. So it is automatically assumed that it's like, oh, she doesn't have anybody and just this. That's what you experience and what you go through. So you do feel like you're. Um, I didn't feel like I had to fight the narrative, but I still did feel like I had to be on guard at certain times, dodging bullets throughout our life, essentially. This is so very interesting to me because my experience is completely different. But that's why I love when we have spaces like this to talk about it. Marquia, you want to go? So I go through that. And y'all know I'm married. Like, my husband, we try to live in my skin. We always together but I still get that assumption a lot but something that I get even more than that y'all know I got five kids I tell anybody who listen all about I got a thousand kids thank god I love all my children but the first thing out people mouth or like they'll start to say it and stop or they'll clean it up is they'll always go to ask me are they all by the same y'all got, they got the same father like you'll be surprised how many people ask me that I knew you was about to say that and it's crazy because, first of all, how fucking dare you? I don't remember your mama and you having the same last name. And I just think it's so crazy because Don and Kate got a TV show when they had eight kids. And our soul mom had a TV show and all them people in the Amish country with their 24 fucking kids. It was, oh, my God, look at this beautiful thing. But I got five kids that I take care of. All We take care of our children together. We serve our country. Like, we are the typical fucking picture of the American dream, bro. And they looking at me like I said, I'm on Maury trying to find out who they got me. That's crazy. Okay, so I'll give my perspective real quick and then we'll hop to Kamari. As far as being a single mom, so I've been a single mom for forever. And I've, I can't say that I've experienced these things. And I don't know if maybe I'm just not looking for it or maybe I'm just like 
passing it. I don't know, but I can't say that I've experienced some of these things that were talked about. And I've been a single mom for quite some time. So that's why I'm like, this is very interesting. And I guess also maybe if people did have that idea, they never said anything to me. Like when Marquia said, somebody asked, do they have the same dads? Nobody has ever said that to me. And my kids have different dads. So (laughs) I'm just like, I don't know. That is just very interesting. So I'm glad that we're having this conversation because it puts things into perspective how even being a single mom can look completely different and the different struggles that we could potentially have as single moms. It's just very interesting to see what other people experience as well. So I just wanted to put that out there. I guess I had a different experience and I'm grateful, but it's that's just crazy. Like some of the stuff y'all should have seen my face. I'm like, what? Huh? What? <laughs> so anyway, Kamari. Since we're talking about single moms, let's talk about single dad for a minute. I was a single dad for a while, and I used to get interrogated as well. And so like, where's the mother? Why are you always here? Why, is, why doesn't the mother become the parent-child meeting? And it would become very, very awkward at times. So... I guess anytime you are different than the norm, people tend to judge you. And so it gets a little. Very interesting. Yes, single dads do matter too. Uh, but that's very, very interesting. And I'm glad we brought this up, even though it's a different topic, but I'm glad that we brought it up to talk about it because it's very interesting. I guess I feel like nobody bet not. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> bet not say that to me. No, maybe I just walk around with that demeanor so they never do but it's 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 blowing my mind where and I guess also even if they do judge right y'all at the end of the day they that's our lives whose whose business is it anyway like I guess that's you know that's how I think about it so if somebody was to ask me something inappropriate like some of the stuff that y'all just said that would be my approach is it your business (laughs) but anyway Yeah, and I saw Stephen just popped in. So, hey, Stephen, the man of the hour, if you can talk. He probably hey. Y'all know you. <laughs> I was trying to get off mute. <laughs> can y'all hear me okay? Yeah, we can hear you out walking in the middle of nowhere. Again. Right, 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 <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I was trying to get, I was trying to get the hardcore stuff done so I would be able to get in on this uh, Twitter space without huffing and puffing. Gotcha. So we, we've we had quite a bit of conversation around it, but I wanted to ask you because you brought up this as a topic and Rakim kind of tried to speak for you earlier, but he said, I really don't want to speak for you. <laughs> <laughs> so when you brought this up as a topic, what type you of... You can't do that without giving him the context of how... <laughs> Look, we already at not 40. <laughs> really quick the context was kamari x are we looking at this from a macro lens so like all black people are we looking at this from an individual experience lens Mm. and so what would be your answer to that yeah so i when i initially said the statement was more so from a from an individual lens that that the black experience 
is not synonymous with struggle that we have to that we have to have room and space for that hey not everybody is out here eating struggle sandwiches you know what i mean mayo ketchup and mustard sandwiches you know what i mean it's okay if you could afford the meat to go with it especially because we want to win or see as many or at least i would hope that we want to see as many of our people win particularly financially but just in general in life and so i'm like man we'll talk about generational wealth generational wealth which i'm huge on but then down someone who's experiencing it or positioning their children to have said generational wealth and be like, oh, man, are they really black? You know, what I mean, if they didn't go through X, Y and Z or if they grew up in an environment to where they seemingly don't have the edge in their voice because of the experiences that they didn't have. And I'm like, man, I've talked to people who've lived the street life like no one who's really living it wants to live it has been my experience in talking to people. They're like, yo, man, I would love to be doing work where I'm not potentially fearing for my life or potentially being at risk of doing hard time in jail. So I'm like, man, what are we really talking about? You know what I mean? Oh, man, that person's a trust fund kid. Man, I hope every single person on here either is a trust fund kid or has some trust fund kids. So that's the that's the energy that I'm on when I was making that statement is that I don't want it to be abnormal to see plenty of black people. And of course, it's actually not abnormal. That's the crazy part is it's actually not as abnormal as we make it out to be. But I want it to be in a, in such a way that when you see black people that have meaningful wealth that it's just oh that's just the homie Kamari oh that's the money plug Marquia oh yeah Tiffany got it like that Rakim hey you know what I mean he experienced some financial trauma like we all have experienced but man that man he killing it he definitely overcame and got a bag for it too so that's the stuff that I desperately want to see for us and when there's crazy drama or things like that the people that we look up to that they don't have to be some of these extreme cases of i want it to be more normative for us to have people that we see just in the public square that look like us that are doing really well, are buttoned up, have their stuff in order. And that doesn't mean corporate or whatever, just that they're doing well. So I'll pause there. Yes. So thank you, Stephen. See, where were you 45 minutes ago? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> we're sweating. <laughs> Often. But uh, Rakim did you did do you justice. So he did say he thought that maybe you were thinking from a personal lens. So he did good there. He knows you. So I want to get into solutions. But before we do that, let's go to Marquia. When he said that thing about like how 
they glorify the hood nigga and that mentality, right? I don't know. I, y'all might not live on TikTok like I do, but a couple months ago, there was a huge discourse in the black creator community because this guy went viral talking about, like, why should he be ashamed because his parents loved him enough to go to college before they had him and make all this money. He grew up in a half-million-dollar home, had the best education, graduated from an Ivy League and like he was going on and on about all the great things that he had and how um, black people make him try to make him believe that because he did not struggle he's not black enough or he's not good enough for them and that he's kissing the white man's ass and stuff like that and now how he said it was extremely flawed and incredibly disrespectful I will be a thousand percent honest with you but he actually had a point and as somebody who has kids I was a struggle kid like I grew up with my mom working three and four jobs so I was at home by myself a lot more than I should have been with the whole don't answer the door don't touch the soul conversation and I told myself when I had kids I would never absolutely not if I gotta work two three four jobs and I'm not working the right jobs my kids come first and the money is it will make do with whatever we get and so for me like I value I, because I value the time so much I made sure to put more time in with my kids I grew up on ramen noodles and spaghettios so I made sure now I can't cook but I made sure to marry somebody who know how to cook so that he could provide better meals for my kids, right? Like, I'm thinking ahead. Like, I wanted better for my kids than I had for myself. And I just think it's so crazy that people will sit here and and glorify not having enough money to eat so you got to go out and sell crack or do whatever it is you had to do. Like, I've been listening to some of these rappers. I'm not really into the new age stuff now don't get me wrong i love me some egos rest in peace take off like it's just crazy listening to some of these stuff because it's ain't first of all ain't no way i would tell people that my mama had me in here with nothing to eat and i had to get out and get it by any means my mama would kill me but i also wouldn't want that for my children people think it's good to jump their kids into their sets when they in this gang life and people think that they gotta get if you ain't getting it on the block is you really getting it and it's crazy that in 20 the the year 2022, right, on Beyonce's internet, that that's even still a conversation that we have to have, that we want to see our kids struggle because we did and it made us tougher people. Come on now. I hope my children never have to be resilient. I hope they never come up against something that they got to recover from. That's just so crazy to me. Yeah, I definitely get that. And as you were talking, what I started thinking about is this is a bigger conversation because really, if you think about it, is it because of how we value ourselves as a community? Do we not think that we're worth having a lot of money? Or do we think that we don't deserve to have a lot of money? And so I started thinking a little deeper, but we only got 12 minutes. That's a whole nother conversation for another day. But I want to go to Rakim and then Kamari. Yeah, I'll try to be brief. My grandfather used to say that parents' job is to have their children do better than them and so on and so forth, right? So although I talk a lot about growing up experiencing aspects of poverty, I maybe don't do a good enough job talking about how I was, how my upbringing was supplemented with so many other intangible riches that navigating coming out of poverty was not unexpected for the people who planted that within me. Steve made a point about, and Marquia as well, about this whole phenomenon. And and Marquia, your point is definitely an extreme version of what this looks like. But it was something that I resonated because when I was a kid, 
I used to read sophisticated text. I used to read dictionary. And so because of that, my, my vocabulary and my ability to read critically and think critically was higher than people in my peer group. And so I would often be told that I was speaking, that I sounded like a white boy or that I was speaking white. I had to go through like this rebellious stage in high school to get like street cred and start using slang and what have you. So I think when you look at culture and just to add this context, my parents were 17 and 18 years old when I was born. So to add context, we have issue of culture. We have issue of self-hate. We have the issue of immature parents raising children. And then to the points that were made earlier, we have the issue of single parent households. And so you have the imbalance of energies, right? Where maybe there is a dominant female energy or feminine energy in the household, or maybe there is a dominant masculine energy in the household, or maybe there's the absence of both. And I want to be clear when I say the dominant feminine or masculine energy can manifest itself in the and basically the man can have the dominant feminine energy and the woman can have the dominant masculine energy and so how does that shape and influence how the child grows up and what becomes acceptable or what becomes did like how do they then take that energy or that imbalance of energy and then manifest as an adult and again this is a super multifaceted issue we can't look at it in terms of black and white or extremism, but I think that this conversation is definitely an important one to be having. Absolutely. And really quick, when you were saying, and I think we've talked about this in another space, but like how people would say, oh, you're talking white and stuff like that. Because I used to read encyclopedias too, and I embrace my nerdy in this. But I thought about the Little Bill episode when he was getting bullied and he was like, so... So I guess that's how I was looking at things like, okay, I talk white. So you say first as a kid, I would say, well, what does that even mean? What does that mean to talk white? What are you saying? (laughs) So anyway, I just think that is an interesting dynamic as well, because also it has really intelligent, like you said, you went through a whole rebellious phase and really why should you even have to do that but I get it because of the pressures and stuff that people have you go through and I even look at some of my students for instance like I have I teach freshmen and there's one particular student this semester that's a a black male and he's just rebellious for no reason I'm like I can already see that you're smart, but he'll do things just to get attention or just to make people think he's cool, that type of thing. And I'm like, you are intelligent. And so I'm like, before the semester's over, I want to have a one-on-one with him just to reemphasize that. It's really unfortunate. And then I've seen in situations like that where that takes them to a whole different route and then they end up hanging with the wrong crowd and getting into trouble and things like that when they were like on the trajectory (laughs) to do things differently so yeah I definitely see that so anyway Kamari and then Steven and then we'll wrap up I have a lot of thoughts, but I wanted to go back to something Marquia said about me the fact that I'm a history buff I am I really am And one of the reasons I am is you have to kind of know where you came from and know where you're going. And I feel like a lot of people don't understand the nuance and context of conversations. 
And so they miss out on a whole rich history of things. Again, going back to history. But I, again, I think it's interesting. Again, what Marquia said that street life has, in a lot of ways, become synonymous with black culture. And we see it in a lot of things. And it's really sad because a lot of times it doesn't give way for a lot of those really bright, smart kids that are already fighting a lot of the institutional stuff. But they don't get the support and the love and the resources that they need to really fulfill their intellectual genius and power. So I hope that's something that we can overcome soon. And I'll just say that this one last thing. I know the, the content or the intention in which it came out, but Stephen was talking about all of us being trust fund kids, which I would love. But one of the things we always have to be careful about is that sometimes when our kids get these things and they don't understand the value of work because there is a value in work, they become entitled. And I feel all the times in this black wealth conversation is everybody wants to give more to their kids than what they had, which is cool. But in my opinion, we shouldn't be trying to give our kids more things than what we have, but give them more experiences, more positive experiences than what we have. I think we always have to be on the lookout for that. Even myself, to be honest, like I was having a conversation with my kids and their existence and my existence growing up, that is, are totally different. I told, I was in my summer, my daughter, I was like, y'all are really privileged. I was privileged in a different way when I was growing up. I'm a product of welfare and everything else. But my mother always made me read or always wanted to read. So it, it was the best of both worlds, so to speak. But that's all I got. Now, really quick, because as you were talking, I started thinking a little deeper, too. And I agree with you, like, we should give our kids more experiences that we didn't have versus things. But also in my head, I was thinking, like, I wonder if these conversations, if this is even brought up in other households, like not black and brown community. You get what I'm saying? Because if you look around, right, and for instance, Elon Musk, Donald Trump, but like that they grew up in privilege and where their parents like, well, we don't want to make, we don't want you to have as much privilege because we want you to be able to value this stuff and blah, 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 blah. Is this stuff that we only say, or is this something that like, you get what I'm saying? Well, the rules for us are different. Listen, I don't know if Elon's listening. I know keeping people off, <laughs> but uh, listen, we still deal with rampant police brutality. We still deal with issues or remnants of redlining, right? Donald didn't have to deal with that. Elon didn't have to deal with that coming from South Africa and apartheid South Africa. So it's different. And I'll be honest, I don't even like comparing us to non-black folks to try to be as politically correct as possible without losing the essence of it. Because I believe some of us really are striving to be like the others and we really lose everything that we're really here for and really here to do. Yeah, I get that and I agree, but I'm just like, these conversations, does this go back to not thinking that we are worthy enough or value ourselves enough to be like, 
all right, well, it's okay if our kids have a privileged lifestyle. You get what I'm saying? No, no, um, no. I mean, that's real too, right? Because, listen, we don't, we, I know I don't. I moved out of certain environments because I didn't want my kids living there. Because I do think if you are in a very, very impoverished area, it stifles your thinking. It stifles your creativity. Like, a lot of this stuff is really nuanced. But if you are constantly in fear for your life, you don't have time to be creative. And that's a total privilege, you know? It's 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 not even really possible. Even though it has come, right? Because when we look at hip-hop, hip-hop has changed the whole world. And that basically came from impoverished areas, not great areas. So that just shows that anything is possible, but that's not the ideal. That's not what we want to have happen. But Steven's had his hands up for a while, so I don't talking yeah i'm just going to dive in on multiple things so first off i believe that when building wealth and thinking about passing wealth down to children that really a lot of the dynamic is if we pass down wealth without equipping them or helping them be in a position to have the character to be able to maintain it and build on it and grow on it, I believe that we are actually giving them a curse because we are giving them more resources to do harm to themselves and others with. Because if you think about it, if you've got a lot of resources, but you have no character, there's no telling where you will end up or the people that you'll harm or manipulate or abuse or put yourself in a bad situation too, whether it be talking about from, it doesn't, it could just be stuff like substance abuse. Like it doesn't have to be something super illicit, but just putting yourself in a harmful space, but it could be from there all the way to obviously, if you are being more of a predator towards other people, but now you have more resources. We know that it's clear in our society that we, we're more favorable towards people who have more and have less accountability for people who have more. So the way I've always looked at wealth and building and thinking about children is oftentimes parents only focus on giving their kids what they didn't have. And my thing is, let's also be mindful to give them the things that we did have. So if you grew up in a loving home, man, make sure that they experience some of that, all the laughter, the creativity when, when you had to figure it out of saying, okay, I don't want you to have the pressure of quote unquote, getting it out of the mud, but there is a beauty to you having to think and just figure stuff out. So just trying to foster environments for things like that to happen to build resiliency. And yeah, you'll see other, and how you want to put this to other cultures or just say wealthy people that have been around, I've seen black people do it, Latina, Asian, so on and so forth, where they'll have things set up in a way that their kids have to do certain things to unlock different resources. And hey, we, we want you to have some discipline. Again, not going to the extreme, 
of saying, I don't want you to experience having excess because I didn't. I don't think, I think that's a faulty way to look at it, but helping to structure things to where they can push through some resistance. For the people who don't know me that well, the reason why I was late, I was doing like doing some exercise. Part of getting stronger is you have to push through the resistance. That is how you get strong. Is there is resistance that is pushing against you. So we don't want the next generation to have a frictionless life because then they will find their way back to poverty. Um, but just trying to figure out space. And I'm not saying that any of us have it figured out, but at least moving in that direction. The last thing I'll say, which when I first had my hand up is this idea. And I believe it's true, unfortunately, that some of the attitudes around equating the black experience to just struggle is that unfortunately there there's too many of us not saying it's the majority i don't pretend to know what the number is but there's too much of a sentiment of looking at other black people and saying i don't think they deserve to be wealthy i don't think they are worthy of wealth because they may personally feel like they aren't worthy of wealth versus when I see black people winning, it brings joy to my heart. I'm happy for them. I'm always thinking about, man, I wonder what their story is for how they got there. What was it? Was it a more simple quote unquote traditional path? Was it built into their family? Were they the ones that changed the trajectory of their family tree? Which unfortunately we have too many of those stories. Like I've said this over and over again, but you guys haven't heard me say it in this space is I'm like, man, we got enough rags to riches stories, man. I want to hear some smooth transfer of wealth stories of, Hey, you know, my grandpa, he was doing his thing and then my parents were doing their thing. And I rolled right into the thing that they were already doing. And I built on it. I want to see more of those, not discounting the rags to riches stories, because I'm like, man, those are still phenomenal. They make for great books, great movies, inspirational people that I've met. But I'm not going to discount a story of people who we saw smooth transfer of wealth. Again, if we say we really are about that generational wealth life, then let's be about it. I believe we are. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, man, like I, I love to hear stories of people where they're like, Hey man, the way I started, I ain't had no debt when I came out of, out of school. Be like, man, it's awesome. And not look at it as less than that. Their parents had the foresight to help them position to walk across the stage where they didn't owe the school or Fannie Mae or, or, or Sally Mae. I'm sorry. Yeah, what, whatever the name is, you know what I'm talking about. So that's what I'd like to see. But I do think there's been a lot of internalizing of believing, hey, we're not worthy of wealth or who does this person think they are because they have 
more than what I do. And my last thought here is just that I've always viewed myself from a place of that I would walk with kings or royalty without losing the common touch. And that would be the thing that I would hope for the next generation and the generation after that for me would be that kind of mentality that says, hey, what makes me royal is how I love and serve other people, not how many people can serve me. And for those who I'm new to you, some of my story, I wasn't on earlier to do like the intros and all that kind of stuff, but the quick and dirty of my story, I'm 100% debt free, made my first million, became a millionaire at age 31. My birthday is actually later this month. So I'm getting closer to the four row, but not, but I still got some space in between. For those that wonder, I'll be 37. So I'm passionate about this because I want to see people win. I want the, just the face of what wealth looks like to be different, that you can be very wealthy and not be a jerk. Be generous with your time. Be thoughtful. Be intentional. Be looking to be generous and just just help others. So I appreciate y'all. Let me uh, share a little bit. Yes, thank you for that. That was very, it gave us some things to think about, I'm sure. And then Kamari. Yeah, thanks for that, Steve. That was dope. It was very dope. Peace about walking amongst kings was really touching. Because Malcolm X is probably my one of my biggest heroes. And his thing was always to be on 125th Street, teaching on the soapbox, and the very next day, be at Harvard lecturing. And so he could basically transverse from the super rich and affluent down to the everyday people. And I think that should be a goal or something that is admired amongst all of us, in my opinion. So kudos for that. The only thing I was going to say outside of that was this thing about struggle is really deep because a lot of us, again, I'll say it again, just from a gross macro perspective, yes, I would say I hate saying black is synonymous with struggle, but yes, we are struggling from a macro level. But on the individual level, a lot of us use that quote unquote struggle as a crutch. And we don't live we don't live up to our God given abilities and talents. And oftentimes shortchange or rob ourselves of the potential that we could actually aspire to. So again, I think it's very nuanced, it's very difficult depending upon backgrounds, educational levels, exposure, you want to get different results for different people. For sure, for sure. Now, before we wrap up, is there anyone in the audience or what have you that wants to add to the conversation? Feel free to request as a speaker and we'll get you up here and I'll just take a few moments for that. And I just want to piggyback on that, too. If you don't want to add to the conversation today, but you want to introduce yourself to this community that we're building so that you can be a part of conversations in the future, definitely feel free to do that as well. All right. Well, I think we're good. So with that being said, thank you all so much for joining us tonight and taking time to provide energy to this space because we 
can only do it with everybody involved. And so I appreciate you. We appreciate you for coming in and sharing space with us. So we do this every Monday night at 9 p.m. Fin Noir Space for Black Money Talk, where, as you can see, we dig deep into Black money um, issues, concerns, and things of that nature in our community and have these open conversations, transparent conversations to get the talk started. I think this talk has definitely got gotten my brain going on a few things personally. And I'm like, I need to dive in a little deeper and research a little more of this stuff, maybe even publish some research on this stuff because it really has me thinking deeply. And the programming is real. But if we are aware of what the programming is and we can actively circumvent it as best we can. So that's what the purpose of these talks are for, is to just get new and unique ideas out there that are different than our norm. So like I said, please join us every Monday night, 9 p.m. on Twitter. This will also be replayed on the Money Talk with Tiff podcast. I do the replays every Monday. So next Monday, you'll hear this one. And we look forward to seeing you all next week for another Black Money Talk. And we shall see what we talk about. But thank you all so much for coming on. And we appreciate you. Have a good night. Thank you for listening, joining, and being a part of the Money Talk with Tiff podcast this week. You can check Tiff out every Thursday for a new Money Talk podcast. But if you just can't wait until next week, you can listen to previous podcast episodes at moneytalkwitht.com or follow Tiff on all social media platforms at Money Talk with T. Until next time, spend wise by spending less than you make. A word to the money wise is always sufficient.